Good evening, folks. My name is John, and I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Today, this is very exciting. This is Hovering Over the Deep, and my wife is joining me this evening. Now, it's kind of funny because I'm talking in the microphone, and she's looking across from me, and we don't do this. So it's kind of interesting to have actually somebody on the other side of me watching me speak, and I, I feel kind of silly doing it. So anyways, hi, wife. This is my wife, Angel. Hello. How are you today? Doing pretty good. I'm glad to hear. Glad to hear. We spent all day together, so it's quite fantastic. We spend every day together. We spend every day together. It's wonderful. I have no complaints. I'm pretty happy about it. And one of the nice things that we get to do every single day is uh, part of our part of our marriage, and we're very blessed to be able to do this, is we're able to go on walks every single day. And I think I talk to my wife more than I talk to anybody else, which is saying a great deal because part of what I do day to day is I talk to people. You do talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of people, but I talk to you more than I talk to anybody else for certain, easily. And uh, one of the things that we kind of discovered is that it's really good to be able to kind of like, I guess, you know, fellowship or commune with one another. And so we usually go for about like, you know, what is it, about an hour-ish, half hour, 40, somewhere like... Yeah, we, we, we walk for about an hour. Walk for about an hour, just kind of like nice trail through the woods. And uh, we do it before we go to the gym together, of course. And uh, realistically speaking, my wife and I, we spend more time together than I think most married couples really do. Uh, we run a business together. We, we, we do everything together. It's just we're together all the time. We're traditional mom and pop business owners. And so we're always together. But So one of the interesting things that comes up with these conversations that we have is that uh, sometimes we get to bounce some uh, ideas off each other now. Of course, you've been listening to my, if you've been listening to my podcast for however long I've been doing this, you know, I talk about a number of subjects. Now, my wife, however, she is probably far more brilliant than I am, uh, and she definitely has an interesting way of looking at things. And uh, the other day, the, the reason I wanted to invite her onto this, and she was so gracious enough to, to join me, was that the other day, during our walks, we were uh, kind of having this delightful conversation uh, that was kind of going along stories. Now, for my wife and I, we're really big into stories. We we love stories, right? She's taking a sip of her tea. She wasn't paying attention. Pay attention. This is important. We're recording. This is interaction. We love stories, right? Yes, we love stories. We love stories. And what's really cool about stories is sometimes you get to uh, look at things from like maybe a sideways perspective. One of the most, I think, famous ones, or at least well, more well-known one, would be uh, when when Jordan Peterson looked at Pinocchio, right? And uh, you know, he kind of like did this whole long lecture series about like the analogy of Pinocchio. And then there's other ones that are out there that are uh, that are kind of interesting. You see the alternative fan theories of like these cartoon shows that we grew up with. Off the top of my head, even though I never really watched it was Rugrats was that like what everything was all in Angelica's head or something like that yeah she was an abused child and to to get away from the trauma of living in a neglectful household she invented uh, a bunch of characters I guess and the Rugrats that she then went on adventures with and had different things happen to yeah my my particular favorite uh fan theory is the one about Greece uh, and I and I love to uh, piss with my mother about this one because she loves Greece, and I'm like, you know, the whole thing about Greece was actually uh, what uh, what was her name Sandy, I think it was. She actually died, and the whole thing was just her kind of reliving her last year of high school before she she actually floated off into the sky with John Travolta in the uh, in the in the hot rod at the end of the movie. And the whole thing was actually, you know, when they're talking about, you know, he came splashing around, kicking around, and whatever. That was actually her drowning. So so the beginning of the movie starts with her drowning. 
and and her kind of life flashing before her eyes. And here comes Danny. Uh, here comes Danny. He's you know John Travolta. He's jumping in and he's trying to save her, but uh, he doesn't actually save her. She dies. And I think that's kind of one of the ones that I that kind of sticks with me the most for some reason. It's kind of morbid, but uh, that's very morbid. It's morbid, but it's funny, you know. And, and sometimes when you think about these things, they are fun. Anyways, so what happened was is we were talking on one of our walks, and my wife Angel she came up with this really delightful uh, thought about the little mermaid and uh i don't want to speak too much for her of course i think i've spoken enough but uh what were we talking about like i think a lot i think a part of it was like personal reflection on life no we actually we just started walking and i literally just brought it up i remember we were at the the other track that we go to sometimes and just as we started walking i said so the little mermaid is an allegory about how a woman has to self-differentiate from her mother of origin to ultimately, you know, be united to her her spouse, her husband. And um, yeah, so it's just, again, you were saying, you know, it was inspired by Jordan Peterson taking the, the story of Pinocchio. Now, this is specifically the Disney versions. I know the Hans Christian Andersen version of The Little Mermaid is uh, slightly different. Um, it doesn't end obviously with your typical Disney and the guy gets the yeah. girl and they live happily ever after. So this is this is specifically kind of based on the Disney version of The Little Mermaid and the the events that happen in the Disney version of The Little Mermaid. Of the, Little Mermaid. And Disney's really great for that. You know, Disney, I mean, I wish I could be Disney. I wish I could, uh, you know, destroy and wreck franchises as much as they have in the past couple of years. Um, of course, they're coming out with a new Little Mermaid and I'm not even going to comment on any of that because at this point, I don't care what Disney really because hey, I'm sure it's going to be a, a financial success like, uh, you know, all the other live action movies that they've made, <clears throat> which have been nothing but atrocious. But anyways, uh, but as as a thought, it's really fascinating when you started to think about that, because 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 what we what we got, we got the cast of characters. So we've got Ariel. She's coming of age, young, young girl. So we have the little mermaid okay. who's who's 16. She's we know 16. that Triton okay. is her father. She okay. has a whole bunch of single dad. Very single dad. Single dad. <laughs> well, there is a theory that, that Triton and Ursula were married at one point, which is important because then that's how Ursula becomes the mother figure. Interesting. Um, but, and, well, don't get ahead. Don't get ahead. Just and who else do we have? Who else so we you have? have you have Ariel, you have Flounder, you have Sebastian, and then you have Ariel's sisters. Notice that they are also all single. You never. They're all, they're all still living at home, uh-huh. right? Because they're all right. still there. They're older than her. Uh-huh. I think there's a sense where she is the youngest. So she has all of these older sisters who are still living at home with with the dad, with Triton. Um, <laughs> Which is good of, because we like we like good, strong father figures. Yeah, like, and Triton I, I is certainly is good. a good, strong father figure, but the, the role of the father figure is not the, the archetype that we're necessarily going for, trying to critique in this particular story. In this particular story, um, the, the father figure kind of does everything right. In a lot of cases, it's it's not the father's fault that there is a failure to launch on the part of Ariel or her sisters, as we will come to see. Well, if he's a good father, he wouldn't let anyone touch his daughters. 
or at least until somebody worthy comes along. Until somebody worthy comes along, right. which is which is really what I think. You know, I hear a lot of people say it's like, oh, I don't need no man. It's like, well, no, you don't, but maybe your children do. You know, young men need to see the man that they want to grow into, and uh, young young women need to see the man that they would aspire to be with, somebody who's strong and honorable and decent. And likewise, you know, in the ideal. Young young men need to see how a man is to treat his woman, his wife, and uh, and a young man ought to see ideally, you know, the kind of woman that would be a, a good suitor for him. So it's kind of like this interesting balance by example. And so, and I, and I and I think it's very interesting how you did this. So so where do you want well, to go with this? So yeah, let's let's start it. at the beginning. So when we first meet the Little Mermaid, I don't know this story as when, well as you do. When we for and this is the interesting thing. This is why I was thinking about it because when I was a small child. The Little Mermaid was the one Disney movie that we went back to again and again and again. I I probably watched the Disney version of The Little Mermaid several dozen times over mm. the course of being in elementary school as a small right. child. I I just I absolutely loved it. I I thought it was the bee's knees. <laughs> so I'm I'm I think I got to the point where I could literally like play the whole movie through in my head. I knew it that well. I knew you know all the songs, all the. The different I can parts. Show you. Oh wait, no, no, that was Aladdin. So let's start at the beginning. We first meet Ariel, the Little Mermaid. Right? She's she's still living with her father, and I think one of the very first introduction songs is, you know, I wish I could be part of your world, and she's okay. singing in her cave full of stuff trinkets, from actually. trinkets from above, you know, in in you know on the land, which you know, as as I was thinking to myself the other day, I'm like, huh, that's interesting. Because what do we see children do? They mm. oftentimes play with toys that mimic things that they're going to eventually do in the adult world. Little girls right. play with baby dolls. Boys play with, you know, hammers and Tonka trucks and things like that. Oh, how gender normative of you. So in a lot of cases, I mean, <laughs> I guess a girl can play with a Tonka truck. Or she, I mean, we, you met somebody whose daughter drove monster trucks, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. So, that was cool. Like when I, uh, just a side note. Uh, so, in, and again, our business, we meet all sorts of people and uh, this guy comes in and we were just talking, this big burly dude and uh, him and his uh, friend just wanted a, a moment to relax of respite. And he said that I was talking to him and I was like, you know, what are you doing? Then he started saying, he's like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you got kids. He's like, yeah. I'm like, what do they do? He's like, my daughter drives monster trucks. And I'm like, wait, like Bigfoot, like grave digger. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And she does like the whole like hundred like he showed me a picture of her yeah. like you know, fifty feet in the air, and insane the fact that his daughters he actually had, he had two daughters but it was the one who actually pursued it as a career just really incredible story yeah it was you like, don't you don't see that yeah. every day anyways yeah so it was just yeah little so side when we note. meet when we meet the little mermaid we meet Ariel she's where a lot of um, early adolescence late childhood people are mm -hmm. children are that. They're, they're not quite adults, but they're curious about the adult world, sure, just like yeah. Ariel is curious about, you know, what is this world that is on the other side of the ceiling of my world, which is, in fact, the ocean ceiling, right? You know, okay, you think yeah. if you're a fish underwater, oh, well, the ceiling of my world, and then you break through and you're like, wow, there is, there's a whole new world. And that's, yeah. you know, you know, so you see, we meet Ariel, she's singing about how she wants to, you know, go up and, and be a part of this world that she's mm. really curious about. Um, then you move forward to sort of the, the next scene, and I think the next song is um, with her friend Flounder, mm. who is the perpetual childhood buddy, right? <laughs> he's safe. He's he's not going he's to... He's the emotional support He's boyfriend. the emotional support boyfriend. He's the childhood friend who's of the, the opposite gender, right? He's safe. He's, he's never going to, you know, be boyfriend or husband material yeah. because he's just he's the safe 
childhood friend. And that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. When you're a child. The other part too that I thought was interesting is that, you know, what is what are mermaids? They're half human, half mm-hmm. fish, right? right? Just like adolescents are sort of half child, half adults. <laughs> they're yeah. they're again, they're trying to self-actualize, they're trying to self-differentiate from their families of origin to fully become right. as Ariel wants to human so we have this next song a dance how if uh what's the the, the lobster's name uh, sebastian, sebastian you know yeah. under the sea and he's pretty much telling ariel why she should stay under the sea okay. or in this case forever stay a child Interesting. right forever so. stay in the sort of the loam of childhood and this is actually gets even deeper because the ocean does represent from an evolutionary perspective sure humanity's childhood yeah. you know that's where we came from so yeah. the scientists say so, right so say, yeah evolutionists um, so well, in a lot of cases, the, the, the ocean represents the unformed, the chaotic, the primeval, the, the, the like I said, the, the, the undifferentiated, right. which is what childhood is. And, and that's interesting because the water metaphor that, you know, it, even from that perspective of, of water being birthed out of water, uh, you know, without getting too biblical about it, you know, um, you know, born again, you are baptized effectively, you know, you are being rebirthed again. You know, of course, when a woman's water breaks, you know, it just, it, it's amazing. Well, we how... come into the world through water. Yeah. And there is a sense where water represents different periods of the growing up process yeah. in a lot of cases. It's a delightful metaphor. It's fantastic. Um, so Sebastian is what? He's a youth leader? I don't know. <laughs> just so, like so, always stay a kid with the pizza parties and just always have fun, kid. He's the relatable one. So, so, so Sebastian's got her safe, yeah. her safe emotional support boyfriend, and uh, who is the is Flounder the fish? Right, Flounder's yeah. not a merman. Flounder is fully fish, fully child. So right. he is that again that 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 childhood friend. Sebastian is the, you know, sort of the siren call, you know, stay a child forever. I, I always remember in the 80s and 90s, you know, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us oh, kid. Yeah, so yeah, Sebastian is kind of, you know, well, why would you want to grow up? Why would you want to go up on land? Isn't life grand down in the ocean? You know, right. stay down here where you have, you know, you can languish forever in this right. perpetual the Peter Pan adolescence. Syndrome. And the Peter Pan syndrome. Yeah, Absolutely. Yep. Or but, in her case would be like Wendy, I guess. Well, Wendy well, at least kind of wanted to grow up well, from she, what she I understand. Became, she became the de facto mother to Peter. Right. Which was interesting. Anyways, that's another allegory for another time. Right. So, you know, what happens to the Little Mermaid and like what happens to all adolescents, right? They do eventually break through. Yeah. But here's where we enter the the toxic mother figure, the <laughs> Ursula figure. The Ursula figure. Now, I think there was a sense where, and you don't get this in the Disney movie. I'm not sure if it comes in the Hans Christian Andersen uh, original story, but that Ursula was in fact the wife of Triton and there was some kind of, you know, falling mm. out. And that's why we don't see them living together. Now, I don't know if that would have made Ursula Ariel's actual mother. Again, they don't really get into that no. in either the Disney movie or the Hans Christian Andersen book, but she is somewhat motherly. She's very voluptuous. She, you know, has, you know, a very curvy body, as you would see, of a mature matronly woman. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I was, again, as just as I was trying to break this down in my head, <laughs> all the different allegories, I thought, huh, isn't it interesting? What is uh, what is it that Ursula demands of Ariel in order for her to become human? Her, her voice. voice. And, you know, there's there's such deep symbolism in that where now she cannot advocate for herself, right? You right. you literally see the mother figure. And again, you have, again, an octopus, right? With the tentacles and mm. grasping and holding on to. Putting your fingers and hands in every right. little controlling right. aspect. Right. Instead of being like, look, hey, you know what? And, and I think there, I mean, of course, you and I can't speak 
entirely of this, but with, because we've dealt with a lot of young people, it, there is something kind of heartbreaking, I think, about when you see, like, a young woman, and it's like, you know, she kind of goes off onto her, and it's like, oh, I remember when she was, and now she's, you know, that, that, that time is over, and I think you do see that, and, and, and we can attest, and we have seen that many times, how a mother has been, like, just just completely invasive like and not in a healthy way like in in some serious unhealthy ways to the point of like nothing that can be done is good enough or right enough or 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 anything it is just all flat out control of every aspect and we and we've seen it in a number of families well that's why i think ursula is the perfect metaphor in this case yeah the the mother figure ursula is punishing what should be a very natural process for a young woman wanting to know about this thing called adulthood and also inspired of course by eric right prince eric Uh, who is he is the uh oh sorry i'm sorry i was getting excited oh we'll get there well it's just the um you know what is one thing that that draws women to want to become full mature adults is you know having a husband having a relationship and being married and then you know of course producing children so here we have ursula the the toxic motherhood punishing what should be a natural process right. in the adolescent Ariel who wants to explore the land adulthood because she meets a guy right, right that she right. wants to go after so instead of encouraging Ariel Ursula the the toxic mother figure <laughs> steals her voice right so she almost enters adulthood handicapped and this right. reminds me of a very particular young woman who we've recently had some unfortunate things happen to where in a lot of cases, when you have these toxic mothers, they do, in a sense, steal their daughter's voice. They Absolutely. steal their capacity to function well in the adult world. They steal their capacity to be able to advocate for themselves, right. to have functioning, healthy psyches. Right. And what do we see Ursula doing? She steals Ariel's voice in exchange for, all right, well, fine. You want to go on land? You want to yeah. enter this adult world? You want to chase after <laughs> your your potential um, spouse, suitor? suitor significant other um you know and that's kind of one of the things that galvanizes her right is i think eric was in a shipwreck and she like saves him from drowning and so we, yeah. we almost have the archetypal male plunged into the loam of the primeval <laughs> adolescent which hastens the awakening of the young adolescent ariel to right. be like wow there you know i've sort of always just dreamed of this thing called land or adulthood now i have impetus to want to explore it and to want to go and actually be a part of yeah, that world, even to the point world. where I, in this case, make a deal with the devil, Ursula, right. to, you know, get there quicker by by giving up my voice, by giving up my ability to self-actualize. And what's interesting, too, and, and you comment, I, I don't believe you commented just now, but when we were on the trail talking about this, you also commented that Ariel being surrounded by the toys of adolescence and the whole idea is stay with your toys stay with these fun little trinkety places right. stay with all this stuff right because what's but her cave made up of it's it's, it's all these trinkets, it's trinkets. It's that from yeah. the, land, the land from the adult, the adult world, world that she doesn't use right because there's the fork yeah. that she's combing her hair with and it's like well that's that's not how you use it right. and again how many adolescents we see who are given the tools of, of adulthood and they don't know how to use them and because adults. they've never been taught well, how and how many adults do we see that are still befuddled by the trappings of of mature adulthood 
and they're still, dare I say, floundering. I didn't mean to make a pun like that. That was terrible. But it, it, it's interesting because, you know, what does she, she starts to design, and I, and I don't want to get in, like to the whole sexual awakening or anything like any nonsense like that. But there, there's, could make there's, a case for that, but could. yeah, I, I wasn't going yeah. down that train of thought. But, but it is interesting where now all of a sudden, the, you could say the Barbie dolls are no longer good enough. The, the 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 playhouse is no longer good enough. Now it's a matter of she sees Eric. Now it's cu- you've got the two desires. She's got the desire of like I just want to go out, but something's holding her back because up until that point it was just her flitzing around, just being like, yeah, this is nice, and what is this? I don't know. Well, that's why the introduction of Eric uh, of and saving Eric, him was the thing that. Because, galvanized yeah. her and, and so what you see and and, and you know, just kind of a recapitulation or saying it a different way you know it's it's that desire of wow real adventure i can be a companion on this adventure this this is a man who is going to take me and he's going to take me away from the kitty stuff, the the toys. I want something. I want something visceral. I want something real. You know, I'm not, I'm, don't and that's actually yeah. that's actually what we see. Yeah. So you and know, Ariel, thing. you know, trades her voice for some legs, and she's washed up on the shore. And who finds her is you know Eric's. I say I don't know if it's Prince Eric who finds her, but somebody finds her, and so. Yeah. You know, again, the adolescent who's suddenly thrust into the adult world, having no idea what they're doing, all disheveled. And then they're they're taken into the adult world. And going back to the, the fork thing, you know, she always thought it was a... I don't remember what, what she called it in the movie. What um, is this thing? Yeah, they, there's, there's some funny name they gave. So she thought you brushed your hair with it. And mm-hmm. so they sit down to this fancy dinner when she gets into the castle and is given nice clothes. And she starts combing her hair at the fork. And everyone at the dinner table is kind of looking at her like, what are you doing? Yeah. But isn't that symbolic of when, again, children are made that transition to adulthood... And they're they're curious and confused and they don't really know how to act in the adult world. And the adults, you know, through sort of that um, instructive condescension, right. you know, show them how to function. And she's shown actually how to use the, the fork that, that, she's, that she used to think and, was a hairbrush. And it goes to show, actually, as an observation, I remember how I used to sit at the table when I was young, when I was a child. And now I think about how I sit at the table now. What a stark difference! It's kind of like the age. It's like the age old adage. Like, what? What are all of these? What? What is all the silverware for? It's like well, it's really easy. You start from the outside and you work your way inward. It's, it's you know you use the outside silverware and then you move inward. You and it's what it's for. And and just the I guess you could say in polite society, you know, a lot of people don't really think about sitting at the dinner table as being any kind of thing other than I'm just going to you know shovel food into my mouth. And after a hard day of, you know, like, for example, doing stuff today, you know, it's like, yes, just please give me a steak. I'm not really interested in these things. But I think with, like, the ideas of, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of that for a moment, just a little sidebar, how often we don't even bother to think about the uh, the the parlance or the, uh, the polite societal ways of actually just doing something as simple as eating a meal in public. I just don't think about that. Which is a uh, little side You note. know... Uh, behavior that small children should learn how to do sooner rather than later so that their parents can actually take them out into public and they aren't little hellions. That is a message for anyone who has ever worked in the restaurant industry. Yes, and please don't bring Cheerios because they end up getting 
dropped on the floor and ground up. Just let your kid eat what's there. They don't need to constantly be shoving Cheerios in their face. Yeah. I need my Cheerios. Anyways. But this is where we get to the more insidious aspect of the toxic mother Ursula figure. Right. So she begrudgingly trades, you know, in our metaphor of how Ariel's, you know, this, this figure is a adolescent going into adulthood to mm. try to get a spouse. So she begrudgingly allows her daughter to become an adult and start doing adult things. However, she t keeps her voice back so she can't fully self-actualize. <laughs> well, the whole thing was if she can get Eric to fall in love with her for three days, within three days, I think it was then, or maybe, yeah. maybe it was longer. Extended it was a certain time. period of time. Yeah. I mean, you guys could go into the metaphor. We should have watched and... this before just to have no, it No, I mean, I, I remember the whole movie. It, I'm amazed. That's, it's, yeah. I know. Well, I said I really enjoyed it when I was a child. But <laughs> so Ariel has a certain amount of time to make Eric fall in love with her. And then she gets her voice back and they live happy lover, happily ever after. However, if she doesn't, then she turns back into a mermaid. And, you know, deep symbolism in there. If you don't, as a, as a budgeting adult, you know, self-actualize and, you know, get the guy and... Who, who helps you enter into that adult world, you go back into the adolescence, you go back to the ocean, you become right. part fish, part human, part right? Human. Just like all of her sisters who, right. again, were all single, just kind of hanging out. Mm -hmm. So there, so maybe there was a whole, I don't remember how many there were, like six or seven of them, who are examples of they never launched. These right. are, you know, adolescents who, who came up to the, you know, Went up to bat and then just failed. And then they sank back down into the ocean and then will stay forever in that weird limbo between childhood and adulthood. So what happens, you know, this is where we see, again, even more insidious aspect of Ursula, where, you know, not only has she stolen Ariel's, Ariel's voice, she then transforms herself into a woman and tries to steal right. Eric and then puts him under a spell yeah. using Ariel's voice. So quite literally, and then they're, they're about to get married and... Eric's put under the spell and he's about to walk down the aisle with Ursula. Right. I mean, so now we have the toxic mother figure literally trying to steal oh, yeah. the, the uh, you know, potential spouse of the child. Well, and, and isn't that interesting? That, and and it, I think that resonates more now today because what do we really see? We see all of these old celebrities, people that I grew up, people that you and I grew up with that were like, you know, glamorous and gorgeous and, and all of this you know they were they were the it and now it's like and i hate to i hate to keep bringing it up but like madonna it's like what are you doing you are not this woman anymore you are now instead of aging gracefully, gracefully they're just trying to trying maybe to, try yeah. to steal trying the to youth steal. of their children it's yeah. like i had my time i had yeah. but you know it's it's now your time to be at the altar with prince eric and yeah and, being and, married and it's interesting and and, and of course we could don't think that the male celebrities don't get that don't don't they don't get a pass either because there's some male celebrities out there i you know what leonardo dicaprio i think is he gets a new girlfriend every time she turns 25 and he just keeps getting older i think dennis quaid is another one who married like yeah and i'm not gonna begrudge somebody for marrying somebody significantly younger I, I certainly won't do that i mean i'm not going to do that that you know whatever if you happen to find somebody who is you know to your fancy and, you know, it works. I mean, it's dangerous, but, you know, hey. But it's interesting because Ursula, going back to that toxic motherhood, she can't let go of who she was. And I'd be willing to bet. Well, and she's not well, going to let her daughter have that. Yeah, she's not going to let her daughter have it. So now all of a sudden you have this insane jealousy. But I'll bet, you know, we can work this in here, is that the form that she took was an echo of who she once was. 
in her younger, more beautiful years back when going along the thought process that Triton was her husband. Well, and this is where we get to the even deeper, more archetypal right. symbolism because Ursula's whole plan the whole the entire time was to steal Triton's Triton. Triton, yeah. Which again, you have the, you know, masculine archetypal symbol of the triton that which pierces and penetrates right. being stolen by the archetypal <laughs> yeah. feminine and then what happens she she becomes this giant monstrous octopus thing right. so you have the all-consuming mother mm -hmm. which again is, is very very deeply symbolic again the mother who you know when you give birth you're, you there is that separation but sure the toxic mother wants to reabsorb she wants oh, to take yeah. back in yeah. and so when you see this giant octopus who has stolen the archetypal masculine who hmm. which if you remember in the movie uh, Triton turns into this little tiny, like little tiny worm, right? So almost oh, deeply, yeah. some again, deeply symbolic of when men have their masculinity stolen by overbearing, overwhelming, toxic motherhood femininity. Yeah. They're kind of emasculated, right? Yeah, and yeah. and and almost um, castrated in a way. They have their <laughs> their power, their generative power stolen, taken by this toxic mother Ursula figure, who then blows up and grows into this ginormous. Horrible you know, monster. horrible monster again. The, the the toxic mother who wants to reabsorb and consume rather than give and let go yeah. of the life. And then we come to the really neat point where, and this is again kind of the 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 crux of the matter that women cannot become women and make that transition. I think as success successfully without the husband. Mm. And this is where you have Prince Eric yeah. coming in <laughs> and saving the day by doing what to Ursula? He Literally penetrates her, her yeah. with <laughs> this ship, oh, yeah. which is what men do, right? I mean, that's the, the epitome of masculinity. He pierces her in the heart. Is, is you know. He, he kills her heart. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and, you know, that's not to say that we, <laughs> I mean. Uh, Actually, if you want to go in deeper, I oh, think he oh, pierces boy. her in the stomach, again, where the womb oh, is, and they get the yeah. seat in the center of, of motherhood, but okay. I can't remember specifically where she gets well, we pierced the by video, the, but that's uh, not the point by the ship the that ship. Eric's, you know, to, to try to save yeah. everyone. And so this is where it Which really comes... Which we are comes... not getting into Oedipus, Electro, or anything. No, any... no, no, no. This no has complexes. nothing to do with those, those Freudian, like Freudian complexes, complexes where the, you know, father's in love with the daughter and the yeah. mother wants to... It, that's... I mean, I suppose you can make a case for that, but, you know, but really no, what no. it comes down to, and it, it's really brought it home for me how, you know, in my life, and my marriage to you for the last 20 years, right. I've, I've recognized it's been hard. It's been really sure, difficult. Sure. I'm not easy that, to live with. <laughs> I, I have my moments as well. <laughs> That's why you both work at it. We yeah. both work at it. Well, but, I think, yeah, um, I'm sorry. You know, I would have not been able to launch or self-actualize to become the woman that I am if it weren't for you. And yeah. that the, the feminine needs the masculine. The, you know, girl, girl child woman needs the man, the husband to help bring her into the world. You know, Ariel needed Eric to literally save her and bring her into adulthood sure. and so that was sort of i thought sort of the the overarching message of this symbolic tale and telling of the little mermaid <laughs> and you know some some toxic motherhood thrown in there as well and 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 to to actually comp you know when you and i first met i i would actually say in a lot of cases i did steal you i i think i did i did all of the right things i just did them all entirely wrong. <laughs> well, in a lot of cases, yeah. my own mother has been a type of Ursula figure who Ouch. only begrudgingly allowed her children to go into adulthood and but kept our voices. And in sure. and in a particular sibling's well, case, really kept a lot more than their voice. Well, yeah. And um 
Let's be careful with that one. Yeah. I don't think I'm um, listen, but whatever. <laughs> in a particular sibling's voice, you know, or in a particular sibling's case, kept more than just their voice. Um, yeah. Their voice, and um, so there, there really was a sense where you did have to yeah. pierce the octopus. I did, yeah, if and, you will. And I, and and again, we have to be careful with that because I know somebody's listening is like, oh, so you're saying that the woman can steal the man's trident? Well, actually. Maybe in a sense there is because this is this is kind of the flip side of, of, of our Western society. And I can't speak on the rest of society or the world, but there is this sense where and it's a sense of duty, I think, that kind of came out of like, say, World War Two. And it just kind of carried on with us where men are just told to shut up, do the job, hold back the tears and just do it. And then you can finally let go when nobody's paying attention. Uh, well, you know, remember that uh, we used to watch 24 nobody's going to catch the reference, but there was this great scene where, you know, after the whole show was done and over with, I think it was like season one or two or whatever, you know, Jack Bauer is literally just breaking down in his car because he's just emotionally and mentally burnt out. And he's like, I've just seen so much today that no one human being will ever see in their lifetime. And I saw it all here today. And he finally breaks down. But it is interesting because that, I guess you could say emasculation in a sense you know, men are always, you know, we're told that any type of expression is bad. You're only allowed to express yourself emotively if you're on a stage, in a microphone, or with a guitar, synthesizer maybe. Um, that's the only time you're allowed to be emotive. No other time like that. And I think with uh, going back to the Prince Eric, you know, he showed passion and I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that, you know, a boyfriend needs to slaughter the mother and the father. Not by any, no, no, good Lord, no. But in a meta sense, he does need to conquer. He needs to kind of conquer in a way that which, and I think rightfully so. I think there's a rightfully so aspect to it because here's the thing. In a lot of cases, the male suitor needs to conquer the father figure. He needs to be the one to win dad over because dad. Well, he needs to show that he can be just as strong as dad. Yeah. And provide and support sure. for the daughter. Or ideally, maybe just as strong, if not stronger. And I think that's a good thing. I think that, I think we need to see more of that. Um, and isn't it funny because we see so many young men today and it's like, like, I'm not going to say that I was like this paragon of masculinity when I was, when I was a young man. And circumstances kind of caused me to be the way I was. And it took me many years to reconcile that. But I see so many young men, I'm like, Come on, guys, you're like a bucket of warm white milk anymore. And I've used that phrase many times. This goes back to a conversation I was having with a mutual friend about how he was saying when he found out how how you proposed to me, essentially asking me if you wanted me to marry you on the day you met me. And he's like, oh, that's so disrespectful. And I said, hell no, that's damn sexy. (laughs) Like, I do not understand these women that get creeped out if a man goes up to them and it's like, wow, you're attractive. I would like to date you. And this whole idea where men feel like they have to become friends first so they don't creep a girl out. And it's like, just be honest. No, I don't want to be your friend. I would like to find out if you're wife material. Well, I like I, I used to use this phrase. You have to be friends before you can be lovers, but you can only be lovers a- until after you're married. Now, I wasn't saying you need to be friend-zoned like that, but I, what I was meaning to say, and and probably I'm going to put, I haven't said this, that in a long time, and I kind of don't agree with it anymore, but there is a sense where you need to get to know each other. You have to be able to be... You know, like well, you, get to know yeah. each other, but in the auspices of... We are dating. We are dating. And that's the thing, I, I you know, this, this friend was saying, again, you can't even date a person until you've been casual because that's seen as too hard of a come on. Yeah. 
and these 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 young women want to be able to have their cake and eat it too they only want a man to be attracted to them on their own terms it's like well don't notice me that i'm hot and beautiful until i'm ready for you to notice me and it's like well that's horribly unfair how does it how does a man even engage or initiate a relationship with with that being the case so bringing this kind of back to to the little mermaid and how there's there's another point um, you're saying, you know, Ursula stealing the Triton, stealing that right. that that symbol of, of masculinity. I mean, we all know men who are pussy whipped, oh, right? Yeah. Where the woman has essentially stolen oh, yeah. the the masculine seat of power in the relationship. And any woman, if she was truly honest with herself, no woman respects a pussy whipped man. Well, we but- want the man to be the strong one. We want him to be the assertive one. He want we yeah. want him to be the head of the household. Not an and, asshole, but no, like, no, no, like no. somebody who's like, no, I'm I'm look, I'm the head of the household. I'm asserting my authority. I'm asserting my you know, in a positive way. And that's that's what's so frustrating. I see all these commercials where they try to show the man as one who's staying home and taking care of the kids and the wife's out working the nine to five, which is fine. I mean, I'm that's not cool. saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that, but it does send the message that somehow you know, we, we have subverted those those traditional, you know, family roles yeah. where the father is the provider. And, and right. there is a sense, and I'll be perfectly honest, you know, I wonder if these women that have to go out and work do resent their husbands in a lot of cases because they can't stay home and raise their kids and, you know, kind of get to do that more traditional thing where when we sort of did our quick little social study and we asked a bunch of young women, you know, if you had an older man come up to you and yeah. say, hey... Instead of you having to climb the corporate ladder and work the nine to five, I'll marry you. You can be a stay-at-home mom and wife and I'll provide for you. Huh. And most of the women are like, heck yeah, I want to do that. Huh. I mean, it's it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. Huh. I don't relish having to go to a nine to five or wait tables or sit in front of a computer all day. I'd much rather cook and clean and, and tend my own castle, if you will, which is what we get to do pretty much every day. Sure. Um, and so, you know, again, Ursula stealing... That is, is again, the, the, the traditional household where the, the mother-woman figure becomes larger than life and, and subverts the masculine role in the household. What do you suppose, just, just for funsies, I, I think, I don't know how much t- more time we've got on this. What, 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 are we, what are we clocking in at? Oh, wow, we can go on. Well, what the hell? We're on 37, 37 minutes. But what do you suppose would have happened if, like, Ursula won? <laughs> like, do you, do you think she would have been, like, I mean, I'm going to use this terrible term, a MILF type of deal. Like, so Prince, so, so Ursula wins... Eric just completely like he's like you know what I'm gonna go for this facade of a woman who let's be honest the more you know you got to put on all the makeup all the fakery all the nonsense and she's got to you know she he's just gonna be with this facade of a woman who's not real anymore she's just this monster um you know he marries her Ariel turns back into a mermaid so she's like this perpetual child for the rest of her life because she loses forever 19 forever 19 or 16 or however what she was and I can't think of a more unbearable hell than being a teenager I do not understand people who wow. think their glory days were high school oh my goodness life like, is so much better after 35 oh yeah it's like yeah well I think life is better life can be better any the next day because you have the opportunity to learn from what you did the previous day and like I mean well, anyways, that's a tangent. But, well, I, but what do you think? What, 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 let's not go down that tangent. But what do you think would have happened if Ursula won? Well, first off, her 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 objective wasn't to marry Prince Eric. Her objective was to steal King Trident's trident. Right. That was the whole thing. Okay. She wanted his power. Okay. So she got it, and if she had not been stopped, well, what happens when a black hole continues to absorb everything? You, you literally have abnegation of life itself. Okay. And that is what happens with a toxic mother. She It's, it's literally like Ungoliant 
eating the two trees in Valinor. Oh, dear. You want to absorb the light and the life all around you until there is nothing. We just got serious. We're getting into Lord of the Rings territory now. Yeah. So <laughs> Ursula, I mean, she she had literally started, I don't know if you, again, if you remember from the movie, she created Not this giant whirlpool that was sucking everything in. Interesting. She wanted literally to reabsorb back into her because remember, the toxic mother cannot stand right. her children leaving. So she wants to grasp with her tentacles to bring back in. And so had Ursula won, everything, it was Ragnarok, right? The wolf eats the sun and <laughs> yeah. we're dead. Everything, See, everything's gone. You know, everything's reabsorbed back into primeval chaos. I'm suddenly reminded of this because not looking at the Disney-fied versions, because I actually remember growing up not... I really didn't watch a lot of Disney movies growing up. I wa Aladdin, as far as I'm concerned, was like the best. Aladdin was pretty good. Aladdin was the best. Like, and I'm not talking about the new, the live. I'm talking about that. And and that was actually the first one I think they did CGI in. But for me, Aladdin was always the best one. But generally speaking, I didn't grow up watching Disney movies. I, I really didn't. See, I was the exact opposite. Yeah. Like we we had we watched all of them every time a new one came out. You know, we would add yeah. the the VHS to our collection. I mean, we. I, I mean, of course, I've seen a few. I mean, I. But Aladdin was when I saw him. I think I've only seen, I've seen Aladdin more times than I can count. I saw The Lion King a handful of times, I think, I think, don't, don't divorce me. I think I've only seen The Little Mermaid like once. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's, it's not exactly one that little boys would probably fair, yeah. go for. I mean, but, mermaids do tend to appeal more to, to young girls yeah. than young boys. But here's, here's the thing. Remember, and I've told you this many times, and for everybody listening, they're going to learn this about me. I was raised on stories. And so for me, I was always watching Twilight Zone. I was always watching amazing stories. And and you'd watched Twilight as well. Uh, yeah, well, you know, and my dad also had Soul Plane in our collection. So I'm open to a lot of things. Um <laughs> Wow, that was a terrible movie, um, but it was interesting. Uh, it was it was definitely a uh, it was definitely a inventive movie, <laughs> but um, but the interesting thing was is that I'm more familiar with Hans Christian Andersen. I'm more familiar with the Grimm fairy tales, Grimm Brothers, Brothers Grimm, Aesop's Fables. It's another one that a lot of people don't talk about too much anymore. And and the more I'm starting to like you know listen to this, I'm thinking more and more back to Hans Christian Andersen, The Snow Queen, which I think Frozen was very Frozen was very, very loosely, loosely based, based but there of. was actually a cartoon. I don't think Disney did it. That no, that um, what I remember watching as a small child about the Snow Queen, which I think was exactly from the Hans Christian Andersen yeah. tale. Ha uh, the Hallmark. Hallmark Channel actually did a lot of those old fairy tales and, and fairy tales, and they did them so much better as the live action because they actually stuck with the story. But you do see this kind of concept of like motherhood and toxic motherhood kind of recycling itself over and over. You saw it in the Snow Queen, kind of saw it in Snow White and the uh, and the Seven Dwarves. Of course, that's not Hans Christian Andersen. I um Cinderella and the jealous uh, stepmother. Cinderella, yeah. And it's fascinating because, you know, it's almost always that positive male figure. It's not so much saving the woman from herself, but saving the woman from, like, you know, an evil, overbearing, like, manipulative mother. Can you think of any 
fairy tale where the mother is either present or not evil? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. I mean, well, I guess... Uh, let's see. Snow White? No. Cinderella? No. Um, Sleeping Beauty? No, no. Well, no. In Sleeping Beauty, you have the Wait, the king you? and the king and queen were there, so they're they're there. I mean, they don't really play much of a role other than oh no, our daughter fell asleep. Okay. Whatever shall we do? So they're they're kind of both parents are rendered impotent, I- inert, <laughs> and inert. Which maybe we could do a whole one on mm. on the symbolism in Sleeping Beauty. We'll have to watch it again. Um, Bambi's mother gets shot. Bambi's and dies. mother gets shot. <laughs> Ariel's Bam- <laughs> ironic. What is it? One friend said, you know. How many strippers are named Bambi and Bambi's a male a guy's name? I mean, How, yeah, I don't know any strippers named Bambi, but, but was, I don't, maybe you do. I don't know. No, I don't know any. Of course you know this. Um, I mean, I don't know I, who I, you know or talk I, to. Yes, you do. You know everybody I know and talk to. Don't make up lies. Um, All your internet friends. I, yeah. My, my three named internet Bambi. Friends. Yeah, Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any internet friends named Bambi. Chad, why are you getting a phone call from Bandy, Bambi69? <laughs> <laughs> thanks thank you um but uh, my my yeah my three internet friends I, I can name them all on my top of my head and uh two of them were actually marginally famous but i don't think um, mother figures are represented no. positively or at all in most most fairy tales i mean even in the lion king i don't i mean you don't really hear much from symbol's mom i mean i think i don't think she's dead but she's not really an active figure that much. I mean, she kind of gets easily taken over when Scar comes along. I mean, but, yeah. but the Lion King's just Hamlet told with lions. Right. So. Yeah. I. Well, even the North man that we just saw, the mother was awful. Oh, yeah. She, she, was she arranged the whole thing so that. Um, what's that? Spoilers. Yeah. I mean. It, it, it's Hamlet. I mean, she literally called him Omleth. Omleth, yeah. And then everyone at the end is like, it was just Hamlet. And everyone's like, what? I'm like. <laughs> They literally called him Omleth. It didn't click for me. I'm sorry. I wasn't thinking about That's it. Okay. But, but no, so maybe but yeah. maybe motherhood is not portrayed well in like Germanic Norse fairy tales. Hmm. Um, it's always those Germans, man. Just because maybe the propensity for toxic motherhood is so easy right. to, you know, and because a lot of fairy tales have to do with, again, that self differentiation, right. that actualizing into adulthood, or, or they're teaching you some type of moral or lesson. Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, they didn't have a mother either. It was the wood. It was the woodman. Well, yeah, you know, the, yeah. I don't remember in Hansel and Gretel. But again, I, mean, I think I think that just goes to show that when motherhood is done poorly, right. that the the repercussions are again. You end up with this bloated octopus who's stolen right. a trident and is literally consuming everything, and then it takes the strong male spouse husband archetype to come in and Mm. deflate that and pierce it and steal the girl away from the primordial chaos giant whirlpool of chaos and bring them into adulthood and make a life together and that's the important thing and 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 both men and women just like you did with me oh well hey you feed me and you take care of me too so it's a two-way street but no we we complement each other and that's the important thing you know you leave chaos i clean it up (laughs) Oh, let's talk about you. Know, we're not going to talk about your chaos for a minute, but uh, you leave my kitchen alone. You're right, and that little soap dish, man, 
I don't know how it happens. I put it right back in place. Yep. After it's been moved. I don't, anyways. Um, Caddy wampus soap. <laughs> and, uh, and the hand towel. And just, any, anyways. But yeah, so, so it is very fascinating. And, and I think that was a very, and I'm really thankful that we got to talk about this. Because when you, when you brought this up, I really wanted to record it. I really wanted to get like a sense of like, I thought that was important to capture. Now, offhand, I can't think that I've ever read that anywhere else uh on the internet or like fan theories or specifically about the little mermaid yeah no i no, can't I, I as far I'm as sure i know somebody has so oh, just sure. well, like just like a disclaimer like yeah I as mean, far as we know i don't think yeah. i didn't really bother to look it up either as but, far as i know this is completely original to me but again it was springboarding off of how jordan peterson did right. take the the pair or the story of pinocchio and kind of explains sort of the archetypal things yeah. going on so it's not too far of a leap in logic to say hey what other, you know, fairy tales and children's stories? I mean, again, especially because there, there almost always was a lesson. Right. You know, these things weren't told purely for entertainment, although that was part of it. But they were also told to teach yeah. a lesson. Yeah, no, there was, there was some kind of valuable lesson. And just as much as society is on this notion of toxic masculinity, which is just nonsense... I, I Granted, yes, yeah, some guys are just, you know, out of their damn minds. I'm not going to dispute that, but... Man, some of these women, too, are just, like, emotion. Well, let's talk about toxic femininity. Yeah. Let's talk about toxic motherhood. Let, let's Lord. talk about these things and and recognize that both men and women are flawed and, and can Absolutely. fail big time sure. in their roles as parents. And, and you see that, I think, so much. You know, toxic masculinity is easy. It, it, it's toxic masculinity is just masculinity run amok. Realistically speaking, that's what it is. It's this, you know, as we've the same virtue that would cause a man to run into a burning building to sacrifice his life for his friends and loved ones is the same. Can easily be turned into a vice. It's coming from the same source. It's not the masculinity that's the problem. It's it's how you're using it. But motherhood is an interesting one because it's almost like this innate defense mechanism of saying. This is a beautiful, cute thing, and you and we and and there's some there's a study that was done. It's like we always put sympathy towards these cute, beautiful things because we don't want it to, you know. It's like we don't want to hurt the cute, beautiful thing, and and I think that's why a lot of people. It's like when you see some of these teachers, it's like wow, she's she's really pretty or whatever. It's like can't believe she did that. You kind of start to wonder if there's a little bit of leniency in that because the person is attractive. And there's been some studies done that suggests that the more attractive you are, the more you can get away with things. Yeah, I've heard that. But think yeah. about it too. You say, you know, with masculinity, the same traits that allow a man to run into a burning building or all can also be used to abuse. Sure. Well, with motherhood, the same arms that hold and, you know, embrace in love and protection can yeah. also hold to restraint. And smother. And smother. Mm. And again, going back to the fact that Ursula was an octopus with these arms, you know, these arms right. can... can can hold and, and, and protect, but they can also restrain and smother. And right. again, ultimately what Ursula did, try to literally absorb and bring back again to that, you know, that, that symbolic archetypal primeval chaos that was the ocean. Again, I think again, there's the deep symbolism yeah. of being in the ocean where life came from. And now we're trying to bring everything back to that primordial chaos, you know, where, you know, God separated the waters in the Hebrew, tohu, vabohu, you know, <laughs> the, the, the chaos and the darkness which is interesting, you know, one more quick thought that mm. a lot of um, mythologies and, and um, you know, origin stories of the universe from, from different uh, pagan mythologies usually have some type of chaotic primordial monster that has to be overcome right. before life can 
flourish. And oftentimes that's what mothers run amok can become toxic mothers. They become the primordial monster right. that doesn't allow life and that does the opposite. And I, and I would actually add to that talking about those archetypes. That's, that's why so many people don't understand something like yin and yang. Yin and yang are not opposing forces. And I hate the fact that they're like, oh, there's a little good and evil and a little evil and good. It's like, that is such an idiotic way of looking at yin and yang. It's talking about balance of powers. It's talking about complementary forces that work together in unison. Uh, not not good and evil. No, 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 no. Good, uh, not good and evil. Not, not order and chaos. But uh, male and female. Uh, I guess you could say light and darkness in a sense not the same like good evil like darkness but yeah like, i don't think it was ever meant to mean no. like morally good and morally bad no, 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 it no, was just more bad. opposite yeah. and opposing but when work together when work together they're coming form together to form the whole, whole what do yeah. we see in the little mermaid we see you know again the mother figure they're grown to gigantic proportions from stealing masculinity right them not working together but then we see ariel and prince eric you know this is what happens when you do right they live happily ever after and yeah. So on and so forth, and and that's the thing, and it is good, and I guess we should. I, I could comment about yin and yang for a while because uh, because the thing is is that if a ba- a balance is good, and for something like a yin and yang, that that male female balance is disrupted, it is chaotic and disorderly, and it disrupts the balance, and that is evil. And that's why I don't think it falls into that you know that harmonious balance thing. That 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 you know. God, man, we're, we're designed to have that balance. When both men and women can get out of balance, leading to, leading to toxic masculinity or toxic femininity. Absolutely. So well, there you have it, the, there you go. the Little Mermaid as an allegory about toxic motherhood and, uh, you know, young, yeah. young women trying to self-actualize into <laughs> adulthood through the power of... <laughs> matrimony matrimony you know and it's and and i will say i've i've enjoyed being married it's been delightful it's been wonderful i think and uh i love my wife she's pretty you hear me speak about i love her you long. too oh hey there we go um but no it's it's wonderful because you know this is what i get to do all day long i get to talk to my wife we get to philosophize about these things and only you know what we what i speak about on these podcasts are only a small snippet of those things i uh i hope this turns out well i'm using a new method so for all my you know three listeners out there but um you know, it's fun to think about things. It's fun to just kind of... Idly speculate. Idly speculate. You know, I'm sure there's uh, there's some guy out there who doesn't like idle speculation, but, you know, we're not going to mention... Uh, we're not going to mention his name, but, uh, but it's fun to think about. Does this mean that, you know, it is... You know, who knows? But it's something fun to think about. Anyways, I think we've run our course for the evening i want to say thank you for taking the time my wife thank you for joining me yeah thanks for letting me do this this yeah. was fun and, and it's going to cause me to want to buy more things because now i need a micro sta- microphone stand and i need a fuzzy thing so that way i'm not holding this thing <laughs> as close to it i'm the playback's going to sound terrible i hope not but thank you wife for taking the time to speak with me to talk with me to share your thoughts and now we have them recorded in time so, folks, until next time, I want to say thank you very much, good day, and as always, God bless.